everyone, and welcome to the Whovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Sean Dave. I'm Collins. And today we're doing a live recording here at AwesomeCon for our own podcast, the Whovian Review. We're already capturing your voices and your thoughts. It could go on for hundreds of thousands, so beware. You may have some opportunities for you to ask questions later on. You would be favored by the <laughs> also, I know we're all good movie fans, and we're all caught up to date because there will be spoilers. Spoilers. Well, let's get right into it. Today, we're going to dive into the villains of Doctor Who. Those creatures, those robots, those entities that come and destroy everything that you know and love. And sometimes the ones you can't even see or even forget. Or might not even be there at all. <laughs> but let's see which one comes up first. I'm sure some of you might recognize it. <laughs> the Daleks. The Daleks are evil candidates. The Nazis of Doctor Who, yes. These are the pepper pots that will destroy anything in their path, no matter what it is, and sometimes even their own selves. Exactly. They consider everyone else to be a pest that needs to be exterminated. And even exterminate themselves if they're not the purest form of the dog. And, of we course... We can't talk about the Daleks without talking about their creator. Davos. Davos. He, this is a, a great villain. He, uh, he created the Daleks because he was born in a world where war had been going on so long they didn't even have a name for their war. He'd been fighting the, the Thals and decided to advance his own race to the pinnacle of revolution, which he decided was the Daleks. So he created them to destroy everything and anything, only emotion gave them with hate. It's really a, a, a tragic story. Someone, you know, here, you know, born of war and, um, and trauma. And so many times, you know, the worst villains, or, or some of the best ones, you might say, are really born. And what's great about Davros is whenever the Doctor goes up against him is that there's really a level playing field. Generally, the Doctor is much better than any villain he faces, but with Davros, he actually you know, has a real challenge. Moving on. Cybermen. What is more creepy than the Cybermen? My goodness, under the guise of an upgrade, you're stripped of everything that makes you you, an individual, a human, emotion. And you know, replaced with just a, a high mind of machine. What's really interesting about these guys as villains throughout the series is they are the strongest ones that target the companions of the Doctor. We, we've got a very tragically killing Adric taking over Bill and Danny and just repeatedly uh, causing mayhem in that, in that series. Moving on, we've got the Autons. Now these came out first during the John Pertwee era in the 1970s and came back to uh, try and exterminate our good friend Christopher Eccleston. Um, they of course are plastic creatures that are controlled by the nesting consciousness. Uh, they uh, have a hive mind, just like the Cybermen to a degree, where a little sliver of the nesting consciousness is in each individual creature or robot. And of course, even going into the latest seasons, we've seen Plastic returning as a villain. <laughs> the Great Intelligence. The second Doctor had to deal with that, and so did 
the 11th doctor. Yeah, this is the, uh, an entity that will upload you into the internet and fuck up your life force like food. <laughs> Yum. It also takes on disembodied robots, snowmen, yeti, all sorts of different creatures and things, and uses them to its advantage. Its whole goal is to gather information, but it's always attracted to the most evil people it can find at the time. Next up, we go into our warrior races, starting with the ice warriors. Martians. Our friends are our neighbors from across the, across the way. Yes. They are very honorable. They, of course, uh, first did business with the second Doctor. Um, not always do they happen to be villains, actually. Sometimes they actually can be nice guys. Villainhood is complicated. It is. You guys are very honorable, so if you fit into what they consider to be an honorable thing to do, you're okay. But if not, that's uh, a much. Oh, and also I should mention, they don't like the warmth. Even though they are slightly reptilian. Oh, the potatoes! <laughs> the most fierce of the slut in all the universe. <laughs> These warriors are short and squat, and uh, they, of course, typically are fighting the Rutans, but anybody who gets in their way will become collateral damage. Oh, so much. These guys don't back down to the point that they engineered their only weakness in the back of their head, um, and that's something you'll really never see. You're never going to see one turn and run away from you, so you really got to get creative to take that and, and these are people who have poisoned the whole earth, who have brought Gallifrey to its knees, and no one takes them seriously because they just look ridiculous. <laughs> the monster of the week. This kind of started during the Second Doctor era, where they kind of had every week that they had a new monster, and they weren't quite necessarily the greatest monsters or the greatest adversaries, but they actually had some intrigue, like the macro with that were big crab-like creatures. And it still goes on today. They started from Uncle Borgian's bubble wrap and guys in wizard suits, and now we have the CGI of the Patine coming in. <laughs> The little marshmallow boy. Shapeshifters, the Zygon. They replicate themselves and make them into you and me. How creepy is that? Like, how many Zygons do we have in this room? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just because we, we wouldn't want to admit it. We wouldn't know for sure. The great thing about Zygons, especially recently since the 50th anniversary onward, is they're here among us on Earth, living with us, and they are great reflections of ourselves. How good are we as people? Well, we can see that in how we treat the Zygons. Now we get into our unseen area. Indeed, the silence. Who doesn't love a good silence? Wait, what are they? The silence? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. We were going to bring someone with silence costume. I think they forgot. Forgot. <laughs> And, and well, anyway, these guys are fantastic. If you ever see one, you might know it in the moment, but as soon as you look away, it's, it's like it never happened. Um, and, and more than that, they have little zappy fingers. And they hurt. They are the <laughs> ultimate parasites controlling the whole, whole planet from post-hypnotic to go. But not even just the planet, right? Yeah. True. Everything. 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 I think they're behind us in time, personally. 
<laughs> hey, who turned out the lights? The Vashta Narada. This group of, uh, I don't know, soul suckers live in the darkness and the shadows. And they, you never know where they're, when they're going to be there because they live on every planet in the universe. Any shadow could be full of Asherah. They could be in this room right now. Exactly. This room's pretty shadowy. <laughs> Although, like the best in Nirana, I think I have a bone to pick right here. I'm not sure if these guys are villains. Any more than, you know, lions and the plains of Africa going after the prey. They're here to, you know, just hunt in their own forests and to survive. Well, I don't know. They seem to enjoy taking out some of the people in the library. Yeah, they, they got a little, little bit vindictive about it, but perhaps. Perhaps lions enjoy their gazelles too. <laughs> Oof. One of the all-time greatest ones, as a lot of people said. The Weeping Angels. Yeah, personally responsible for thousands of phobias about statues in the past. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these ones are great because I don't see how hard it is to not blink. And you, you look at them and it just seems so innocuous, but now I can't stop looking. <laughs> ah! If you look at them, then they turn into a kind of statue, as you well know, but, or may not know. Um, but as soon as you look away, they can come alive and zap you back into the past, feeding on any potential energy that you might have had going forward in time. And just in case uh, you were aware of this, since we put these pictures up, this slide is itself a weeping angel that could come alive and take out all of us right now. Well, then I better get rid of it quickly. Yeah, move responsible for Michael. Listen, this is like my favorite episode of all time. It is close to my heart. Um, and the core here is that evolution has brought up, you know, uh, super speed. It's, it's brought in really powerful claws, talents. What about powerful, powerful super camouflage? What is out there lurking with us all the time that we don't know about? And, you know, what I love about this episode is even at the end, you're not sure if this is a true creature or if this is just fear itself. And us just being worried about what's lurking, you know, something, um, you know, breathing down our neck or that we see in our, our periphery from the shadows. Or maybe Clara. Yeah, you know, it could just be Clara under your bed or, you know, under your seats right now. The corrupt. Now, not everybody has seen all of the corrupt villains in Doctor Who, but there are definitely a bunch of. Characters that roam the galaxy, take over a world, and then try and use money as a way of taxing the heck out of the poor people that are on that planet, and maybe destroying them at the same time. Um, we have the Collector, who the Fourth Doctor, of course, gets to um, take down because he has taxed the people of Pluto. You have uh, Salamander, is basically an evil version of the Second Doctor, almost, but he's actually a human. Um, and then, of course, Syl. Oh, I love Syl. Syl's actually one of my favorite companions. Um, I did have to come in contact with him quite a few times. But um, he uh, actually took over Varos. Um, and instead of mining the planet for Zyton 7, he decided he was going to um, put up some television shows. Yes, he was doing 
Yeah, I know. Reality shows where people are killed and tortured in horrible ways and profiting off of entertainment, and its sole goal is to spread that to the universe and open it up so everyone can enjoy. I think a lot of them reach Earth at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Just check, check Netflix. Oh my goodness. The Time Lords look familiar. They do. Yeah. This is where we were going to tell a time travel joke, but nobody here got it. <laughs> the Time Lords are, their whole goal is to essentially be the wildlife photographers of the universe. They will not interfere in things, allegedly, and they, you know, think that they're right and they're above and they're, you know, will let people suffer around them without interfering at all. Or, you know, sometimes they might steal the planet Earth and move it to another part of the galaxy just for this. I think so much of the villainy here is just the inaction, you know, watching horrible things happen, you know, sometimes again and again and doing nothing about it. Which is why we run into a lot of Tugwood Renegades. Yeah, well, we've got Omega, who actually creates his entire antimatter universe just to help the Time Lords advance their own technology. But then he goes insane and tries to take it back out on the Time Lords after he feels like they just abandoned him there. Go figure. <clears throat> you also have... Me. <laughs> <laughs> At least you want to be incarnations of the Master. Alright, so the Master, the Doctor's oldest friendly. Best friends growing up on Gallifrey, the Doctor gets exiled to Earth, can't use his TARDIS anymore, and he's stuck there. That's when the Master shows up. He comes to Earth and just wreaks havoc in the general vicinity of the Doctor. Seemingly just to kind of entertain his old friend by like causing these horrible things, and they just get in a fight. And the master's always teaming up with other aliens, biting off more than they can chew, and just getting completely wrecked at the end until Missy came along. And Missy is the first master to actually succeed in any of her plots, and <laughs> she chanced to join forces with the Cybermen, one of the greatest villains we've already discussed, and, uh, and win. She totally takes it over. But then she needs to hand it over to the doctor because she wants to prove a point about how he's just like she is. Yeah, really, the only one to take down Missy is, is the master. Yes, that is true. And, and this is where, after she goes through a very intriguing evolution and actually becomes very close to almost not a villain, until, as Tom pointed out, the master showed up when her previous incarnations and ruined everything. But, you know, I think the Master has been thought to be gone and, and out of the universe many times. But oh, that, the Master is always dying with no hope of, you know, coming back, and then a uh, season later will show up with no exclamation. Oh, <laughs> you watch me burn alive? No good deal. I'm here again. <laughs> There's always a debate as to which one's the greater foe. Is it the Master or Davros? We'll let you decide. It's the Master. <laughs> There are other Time Lords out here making trouble, though, aren't there? The Ronnie. Well, yes. That science theme that we have that we've seen before, you know, sometimes the pursuit of knowledge isn't all, you know, sacred, good, and above board. Sometimes um, you go, you take over plants, and you run experiments on them to the detriment of everyone involved. Um, and, and the Ronnie here is a, is a time lady where, you know, there's no real pure malicious intent, but does not care about the consequences on getting to that new information that new scientists discover. You're all the lab rats to the Ronnie. And, you know, she thinks the doctor and the master are just way too emotional. They just need to sit down and focus on full part logic and murder thousands of people that way. 
Well, she also got kicked out of the Timeless Society because her experiments actually ate the president's cat. Which seems like a really minor reason for her to get kicked out, considering like all the different planets she takes over and like people she mutilates and everything. Hey, people love their best. <laughs> Especially if you're president. Yeah. <sighs> now, going to the darker side of the doctor himself. Oh, wait, that's me. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, the um, yes, indeed. an amalgamation of the Doctor's darker sides somewhere in the future. I don't know where, nor does probably anybody else. I don't think any of the writers know either. <laughs> no, I don't either. But the Valiard actually is a character who is uh, putting the Doctor on trial so that he can acquire all the rest of the Doctor's lives. And on this occasion, the master actually pops up as, as a protagonist because he shows up and is like, hey guys, that value dude, he's actually the doctor, and I'm letting you know because I can take out the doctor. I'm not so sure about this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a force to be reckoned with. Uh oh. Now, but the doctor. Wait, wait. I, thought, I thought the doctor was the hero of this story. I usually yeah. am. But at the same time, he's kind of a villain. I mean, he, he goes through and, and he's probably, he has a larger death toll attributed to him than probably anyone else. Yes, uh, he tends to go around collecting a lot of assistance and people that are willing to sacrifice themselves for him. Kind of like, I kind of like that. <laughs> well, he, he sure essentially right. kill off Ron. He refuses to have weapons or, or anything, but you know, the people who travel with him, they recognize that that just doesn't make sense. You can't pull off these things without that. They end up falling into that role. So in a way, he does. He always shapes his companions into weapons. And, and many times, the companions uh, may not make it out of the TARDIS. Or when they do, they're worse for the wear. Um, you know, wipe the memories for no, uh, no silence existence. Every once in a while, the, I will admit that the Doctor does tend to do things that are a little out of character. The fourth doctor, for instance, actually snaps a security guard's neck and kills him. Uh, the sixth doctor takes out shock eye with uh, mothballs. Uh, there's all sorts of things that the doctor does, including Cassandra. Oh yeah, like when he, when he kills Cassandra, he, he kills a lot of people, and he also kills a lot of people through negligence. Anyway, so we see on the fires of Pompeii. They're sitting there, he's like, we can't save the time of Pompeii, it's going to destroy all of time. And his companion Don is like, just save one person. Don't save the whole town, just save one. Doctor ends up saving four people. Um, and the thing is, it doesn't break time, because he's able to save those. You never see the doctor after this pull out, you know, his computer and look up and see, hmm, how many people could I save in this situation without breaking time? And then be like, all right, all 50 of you get to my charters and get you out of here. Like, that never happens. <laughs> Although I, I do see to seem to see him, you know, breaking his own time rules and code for his own selfish people, for person, um, and for those closest to him. That's true. Yeah. Oh, what is convenient for him, especially. Indeed. And, and it just seems like a, another for me, the doctor as a villain is often the doctor just missing all of those opportunities to save people. That's a chocus. You know, he, he can try again. <laughs> Well, again, you also have to remember that the timeline has certain points in it that you can't alter or change, 
And if you do, it's throw up the next set of events. Yeah, we'll just read so the universe again. Or they might just get caught in their house right after they left the universe. <laughs> Alright. Here we go. Now, who's the true villain? The biggest villain? Look to your left, look to your right, look to yourself. Humans are often some of the biggest villains in Dr. Hill. Um, you see them as constant antagonists. Um, they've, they've gone through and enslaved their own people, and after learning those lessons, they go on and enslave other races. A, a lot of nefarious things our people are doing. Yeah, so we also have Midnight here. So this was a creature who it tried to learn from the people it encountered and tried to sort of even maybe exacerbate some of the negative emotions. So on a bus, stuck with this creature very quickly, all of the humans turned on each other, turned on the doctor, decided to throw people out of the bus and kill them in order to try to get rid of this entity that had really done nothing other than talk to them. And it just the slight provocation, total monsters, group of ordinary people. Also, uh, we tend to uh, have some stories that go more towards the political side of things, and if you go back in time to the third Doctor era, there was talk about pollution. That's also being talked about during the thirteenth Doctor era. And of course it's humans that create that, whether it be plastics, or whether it be gases, or whether it be the trash or sludge that we have out there. And that's another thing that actually typically creates monstrosities in of itself. And other weird things. Yeah, and we see particular demons too, you know, try and take use of alien technology. Um, you know, sometimes they try and justify it in, in ways that, you know, aren't fully there. Yeah, we even have, you know, I mean, Margaret Jones and the doctor's companions break out, but she just decides at one point that it might be an okay thing to blow up the whole earth. You also have humans that are here on Earth that aren't companions, such as Tobias Vaughn who actually sided with the Cybermen to take over the entire planet. I mean, come on. You got Jack Robinson did the same thing with the Daleks. Yep, well, he's almost did, yeah. Well, I mean, he did, but he, you know, changed his, his wording about it when he was on TV. Of course, <laughs> of course. He was certainly willing to sell everybody down the river, you know, for a little bit of respite for himself. This was in the most recent Star Trek news story. Definitely. All right. So, I think humans, we have a lot to learn. And I think you guys probably have some things you'd like to learn too, so fill into the audience. Any questions for us? Really? No questions? Ooh, I think I see something. Why did you guys consider the Silurians? The question was why we considered the Silurians. Ooh, good question. We, they have been considered. Yeah, to, to, to be perfectly honest, we, uh, we thought the presentation would take us a lot longer than we ended up taking, so... I'm glad you brought that up. The Silurians are great. They were the previous owners of Earth, known as Sea Devils, and they, you know, kind of dropped off into various forms of deep sleep for thousands of years, and humanity came up. And then they're like, hey, this is our planet, get off. And it, 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 there's always great stories with that, because you always see them with the... Cyborian and the humans tend to both be villains in the story, or just the human part. Yeah, actually when we went through this uh, presentation before, we 
we actually had a few more in there, but we decided to take them out because we thought it was going to take longer. Yes, you have another question? I'm surprised you consider these features like the to-do's. Oh, right. Emoji bots. Well, I think it was more that we were trying to consider the villains that have been like repeating throughout Google history. Yeah, and when we got into the villainy talks too, we, we had a lot of debate amongst ourselves about, you know, who is a villain? What, when are they villains? Like even the emoji boss, they're trying to help people. I mean, they're yeah, I think they failed wildly, at least for a long time. I think um, there's an incredible amount of villains. I mean, I particularly love the Levine. I think that they're just like stupid and awful, but they bring me so much joy, for example. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we kind of just focus on things that are, you know, very popular that people would like really immediately realize are part of Doctor Who, but that's no way to disrespect to like the littler villains that bring me all the joy in the world. Well, on, something that we could categorize as well, we like, you know, someone thinks hive minds or, you know, is, is robots. Yeah, I mean, I would like to say that one of my favorite films of Doctor Who is uh, Turlo, who's actually a companion, yeah. who starts out getting um, essentially a hive slash blackmail into trying to assassinate the doctor, but he is fairly incompetent at it and ends up turning into a one of the most loyal companions. <laughs> I have to point out another time, Lord, is that uh, the meddling monk way back in the first Doctor era, actually, he's absolutely ridiculously silly and loves to be a prankster and a jokester just as much as anything else, but he also likes to tamper with time. So he's less of a villain and more of just a kind of a sore under your uh, under the doctor's coat. I'm curious, what do you guys think is kind of like one of the best one-off villains? Personally, I'm a huge candy fan. <laughs> the boneless. The boneless. The cat. The child. Oh my god. I remember I first started watching Christopher Eccleston. He was my first doctor, and I would watch Doctor Who before, like during the day, every single day. And then one time I was like, let me watch an episode right before bed. Oh my god. My friend introduced me to Doctor Who, was like, you made a mistake.
we have a podcast, as some of you may or may not know, and we actually had I think, an episode in which we kind of discussed which villains would be crippling to each podcaster in particular, and Michael, somebody who knows me very well, suggested that it would be the silence for me, only because I don't like knowing stuff. And that in itself would drive me crazy. Imagine trying to defeat something you can't see, and then suddenly just having all these marks on your body. Yeah, I, I love the concept of the silence more, uh, to be honest, but also, if I had my choice, I feel like I could, you know, interact with the silence, you know, some horrible things could happen, and I would leave with no post-traumatic stress. There's a lot of advantages there with uh, the meaning of the silence as well. I would like to point out, too, so Stephen Moffat, who uh, was the showrunner of Dr. Mudurian and Matt Smith and Peter Paldier, he actually invented the, uh, the creature from the Empty Child, the Vashti Narada, the Silence, and the Weeping Angels. That's a brilliant character. Wouldn't want to take a trip into his mind for too long. I don't <laughs> I guess we do that every week, don't we? Yeah. What about, like, the recurring, like, the, the like, entities that kind of, they're Be fair, I need more food than I need. We have another question on here. Uh, would you count the cat no 
the cat ones. Oh yeah, for sure. They, they uh, so they, these are creatures who just couldn't deal with the influx of new diseases when humanity came to another planet. So they decided to start essentially like cloning people and infect those people with all the diseases until they could learn how to fix them. And so they just had this whole, you know, complex full of these people they considered not real people and would just put them through all the most horrible diseases that existed and then kill them and assimilate them. And of course there's a guy that's trying to help people. That's what, that's what I think is also a big hallmark of villainhood. Pretending to be the good guy when you have really bad intentions. Oh, the infected water monsters in the waters of Mars? Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, well, I mean, I don't see why not. Maybe it was the humans that went there to disrupt them in the first place. But... We have a hand over here, or we have one. Yes, sir. I love her. <laughs> Is she a villain? Melanie Cross. Uh, Melanie Cross. This got complicated. I would say largely not, but technically yes. I mean, she does do a lot of villainous things, and you know, although the try and kill the doctor part, I don't know that I really give her villainy for that part, but I give her ability for, you know, probably countless husbands she's had before and killed, like that one guy in tech, she was like, what's wrong with it? I mean, she just has a good part, but she goes about it in different type of ways. We'll shoot first, that's why she's leader. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I just want to talk about this one character Oh, I'm sorry, Hazel, there's a light right there's there. There's a light right there, we cannot see you. That's a good question. As a matter of fact, I was going to kind of touch base on that briefly, was that there are a lot of villains that end up not being villains in the end. Um, I would say no, but firstly, um, I don't believe that anyone can be proved. I think everyone has room for redemption, and in Doctor Who, we could see that explored a lot, but I think inherently the Daleks, without them changing themselves, would probably be the closest to non-redemptive characters. Yeah. I, I think if you let no, the Daleks... Yeah, if you let the Daleks define what a Dalek is, then that Dalek is irredeemable. Yeah, if, if you learn to hate for a living, then that's probably the worst person or entity you can be. Um, how, are, how are we going to give a, um, a moral makeover to the, the weeping angels? We have to feed. I mean, yeah, they do have to feed, and they're... They, they don't just straight kill you, and they don't, you know, most of the time, they're not, like, making you suffer. Right. So, there is that. Yeah, there, there could be a path to redemption. I, I could foresee some, some end-of-time scenario where, you know, you might be towards the edge of the universe, people can't survive, let's toss them back where they can. What be the Oh, right, yeah, the, the oh, yes. yeah, that's, that's essentially Satan. Um, yeah, you didn't really have, have much in the way of redemption qualities in there. Did you remember any, anything? Uh, you know what, I'd like to think, you know, with just a little more conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but 
always so close. Not There's a question right here. Thank you. 
something to better her own people on the planet that she's taken over. And it's in the Dalit, the main villain is the Doctor. Good point. Yeah, and, and my favorite villain might not even exist. All right, we have time for, for a couple more questions. You might have them. Oh, is he a hand back there? Uh-oh. <laughs> it's going to be a very weighted response. Yeah, it is. And, and I think we've all changed over time, except I've held pretty firm since I've known the guy. It's Peter Capaldi for me. Um, really? He, he takes the cake. I think he has wonderful range. And I like my doctors a little bit older and crotchety. Um, <laughs> but I think he has a tremendous uh, presence. And um, he can give one heck of a great speech. I also have to go with Capaldi, but a very close second for me is uh, Matt Smith. I know they're very different from each other, but uh, frankly, I love the writing in this era. And just, uh, he was also a very dark character who liked to hide his darkness with uh, forced enthusiasm. And it was uh, kind of a, a fun twist on what we generally see for it. But yeah, Capaldi is, is great with you know, his intensity. Yeah, I think I really brought her over to the Capaldi side after a, a little, uh... Season 10 did a lot. <laughs> Can you guess my favorite doctor? Also Capaldi. I love Capaldi. He's my favorite doctor of all time. Much like what Colin said, I like my doctor's a little more crotchety. I like how he has a really dry, complete humor. I don't know, I just kind of like the fact that he's like rough on like the exterior, but you know, he does have a hard work, you know, he has two. Um, I don't know, I, I love his evolution where he started out as being like the super crotchety kind of like, not like kind of mean kind of dude, but then when he goes on his adventures with Bill, that's when you can kind of see him like soften up and be super sweet. But I just think he, he's the doctor that's made me that laugh the most. He's also the doctor that has made me cry the most. And he's also the doctor that's made me relate to him the most because I've been told that, you know, I look a certain type of way, but I'm soft and mushy on the inside, you know. But yeah, I relate to him, I love him to death, and I hope I never meet him because I have fun. Well, like the Brigadier says, wonderful chaps, all of them. I don't think. You For me, I do have a favorite, but let me get let me get something straight. On a given day, I might like to watch a John Pertwee episode, and then the next day, I might be like, "Ooh, let's do Sylvester McCoy." I haven't seen him for a while. Michael's favorite is Colin Baker. <laughs> if you couldn't guess which one I like, the Raven Doctor. I am one of the far and few between the Sixth Doctor I always knew because he was one of the very first actors I saw. But, I will also say, if I had to go with a newer doctor, I would say David Tennant. When I met him, I couldn't talk. I didn't know what to say. He, had, he did all the talking for me, so I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, the, those are probably my top two. So all right, we've got time for maybe two more questions. Well, since you're talking about favorite doctor, I have a few. Nine, ten, seven, six. <laughs> <laughs> the new movie. Classic movies we were talking about. No. <laughs> I recommend it. They're long and like drawn out, but they're kind of fun sometimes. Tom Baker's a good way to. Tom Baker's a great one. There is still time. <laughs> uh, if you want to go on a journey, you can always check out Ritbox. They have classic stuff on here. 
Or you didn't come to my house and I had the classic stuff. Hey, you can listen to our podcast, the movie review. We discuss various episodes. You can figure out what's your favorite from that. Yes, and we also do have an Instagram account, which I run, but I've not run as often. If you guys are interested, follow the movie review. I'll follow back everyone who follows today. And if I get a bunch of follows, I'll post more often. <laughs> but yeah, our house is full of this horror and stuff. All right, one more question.